those that are old enough, most likely you remember where you were 20 years ago yesterday morning. 20 years ago. I mean, just wrap your mind around that. And how our world changed that day, and no matter how many we would state here today of the changes, it's probably still understated in how many things are different because of that. The world even, or our country specifically, seemed to come together. If not for a few days, it may have even trickled into a few weeks. And, you know, it just seemed like, wow, it, all of our differences don't matter right now. Our culture and our country and our world turned to the church. What did they find? What should they have found? We're in John 13 today, and obviously if you've been reading along with us, there's a lot of things you could pick out over the three, three chapters we've been in. Well, John 13 is where we're going to land, if you will, today. And just a little backdrop, it's the Jesus' last Passover meal, and they are sitting at the table and they're reclining, the disciples are, around the table, and just kind of get a picture of that, and, and I don't, I'm not a expert on this, but they would be laying down, and they would be basically their feet out behind them, normally on their left arm, and they're at the table. And it's tradition, and often, not maybe not every time, but tradition, there was a foot washing that would happen as they came into their, that meal. And it normally happened at the first part of that, normally done. For, well, it's done for a lot of reasons, but one of them, if you, if you know the, the roads they would walk on, it wouldn't just be dust they would be washing off. Unfortunately, we won't even get into the more specifics of what else they'd be washing off. But it was bad. And normally be done by servants or the lowest of low, most often even by women. But Jesus uses this symbol as one more example before he goes to the cross of how far God will go even to the feet of human beings to rescue them, to let them know how much they're loved and to set an example of how to go forward now. It represents salvation. It represents the model pattern for living. And we're going to look at that today. Now, I could have gone a lot of ways in John 13. Uh, there's some things that obviously Scripture we could camp out on. Uh, Judas, we could talk about. I, I told Jeff, I said, you know, we could. I could speak on Judas today and, and uh, have him come up at the end and me wash his feet Let that soak in. And he knows what I mean by He knows I don't think that. But we could talk about Judas, and Judas, when one thing gets in your, 
in your system and you give ground to the enemy, if you're not careful, that ground begins to be taken up faster and faster. The momentum begins to build. And before you know it, that momentum's taking you somewhere you never planned to go, possibly. Or we could talk about the other disciples, Peter. We could Monday morning quarterback them, right? How could you? You were walking in the flesh, physically walking with Jesus. But we also have to be reminded just a few days earlier, what are they doing? We're arguing about who's going to be the greatest among them. When you come into your camp, who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the greatest? Can I sit here? Can you sit there? Whatever. So it doesn't shock us. Really, it doesn't shock us that if we put ourselves in their place sitting around that table or laying around that table, could we in that moment ask ourselves the question, could we have been a denier? How quick that can happen. In a moment, we're not prepared. We deny or we betray. If you'd asked us an hour earlier, we'd have said no way. But we're not going to talk about that. I'm going to read you the passage from 1 through 17, and then we're going to camp out on two other verses. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered. You may want to underline this. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For we know who is going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done to you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord teacher, have washed your feet, you shall also wash others feet, another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Verse 34, 35. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A new command. He does not say, the world will know that you are my disciples because you do miracles. He does not say, the world will know that you're my disciples because you gave everything away to follow after me. It does not say the world will know you're my disciples because you have big churches. It does not say the world will know that you are my disciples because you go serve the poor. It says you will know, the world will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. And the climate we are in today That message is still the same. The world will know that I have come because of what you do out of love for each other. Not because you're a fast talker, great preacher. Uh, I'm not talking about me. I'm just talking about whoever it would be. It's, it's not because of that. Because people can be talked into stuff and talked out of stuff. But because you love one another. And this command, he said, it says a new command. Now, obviously, the disciples had heard this. This had been said for the centuries. For centuries before them, they, had, they knew this. Jesus had said it himself. What's the, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. But what's new about this? What was new about it was, and I'm a very, how many of you are very visual learners? I mean, I really, I, I want to see something happen. I want to put my hands to it. I want to be that kind of person. I, I say I want to be, I am that kind of person. I'm, I'm way better than you just talking over things and uh, let's go do it. Let's get our hands in it. Let's, let's put our, our, our hand to the plow. Let's go figure it out. They had had that said for centuries, Deuteronomy, and Jesus had said it himself, but then Jesus goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this right in front of you. For those visual learners of you disciples, <laughs> you're going to know how to do this. I have modeled for you A new commandment I give you, that ye love one another as I loved you. Whoa. That seems small. We read it. We've read it many times. But as I have loved you. From experience, I know this. And maybe you do too. This new command that Jesus gave... It's real simple to remember, but it's really hard to live out. That the most seasoned, sanctified, 
sold out believer, when they slow down long enough and stop long enough, they are so often, including me, embarrassed of how much they miss that. Sure, again, we can do evangelistic things, but the greatest evangelistic thing is love one another. As Francis Schaeffer said, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses in whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. I'm so thankful before I had my theology at least better. <laughs> it's not perfect now. If I knew where it was not perfect, I'd try to correct it, okay? But I'm assuming there's things I don't get all right, but I try. But one thing I realized early on before I understood the theology part of it was there was a tremendous love Something happened. Something changed. I looked at, I, I was talking to my sister the other day, my, my baby sister who's, that's turned, I think she's 49, 50. I said, you know, we were talking about kind of the history of our family. I won't go into all that because it doesn't matter at this point. It matters. It matters to us, but it doesn't matter to you at this point or the, making a point here except one thing. I remember when I came to know Christ as my Savior in 1986, I, I don't know it was me. I'm not sure what all happened, but I became a hugger. I, I was not a hugger before then to speak of. And my family was not gentry side. At least we're not huggers. I don't really think the Goodwin side was either, really huggers. But something happened, and people started coming to Christ in my family. Things started changing, and we were huggers from until my mom and dad passed away. We became huggers. Now, hugging doesn't mean that you have agape love. Okay, I'm not trying to, don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it changed something. Before I had the theology right, or theology better, something else had changed. And what Jesus reminds these disciples here, I think is really critical This love that you're going to have for each other doesn't come from you. It comes because of the love for Christ for you. And when you step into the love of Christ, one of the challenges that I think many people have in their journey with Christ is does he really love me? Does he really accept me? Yes, I've accepted him as Savior, but I don't know that he can love me fully because I know me. Anybody ever been there? Struggling with the love of Christ for you because you know you well enough that you're not sure whether you deserve it? You don't have any problem with him being who he says he is. You have a problem with you. But for us to love others the way that Christ set the example, we've got to know that we are loved that way. And I'll show you in a minute why I believe that's the case. But what I appreciate here is, 
And of course, Christ doesn't get into this point, even though he's already promised, we'll talk about that later, promised the Holy Spirit to come to and fill us. And so that's, that he's going to give us a great opportunity and power to live this out. He's not asking us to try harder. Discipline ourselves better. Kurt, just rest in the love I have for you. Accept that fully. And when you begin to embrace that, it will flow out of you. You don't have to try harder. Just rest. So how do you get that kind of love? Got to receive it. What Jesus says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. It's always been that way. You can't give to others what you haven't received yourself. Now this kind of love goes to, yes, to a Judas who would betray him, who would turn him over. It would go to a Peter who we know is going to deny him, and the other ten who are going to run. Jesus gave this kind of love. What makes this love different is he gives this love with not expecting anything in return. He gives this love knowing he's probably going to get burnt, if you will. He gives this love out of who he is, not out of who they are. Agape love. Paul started using it, and it's the kind of love, the unconditional love. It's grace, mercy. Yes, it's all that, that, but it's a love that you ask nothing for in return. And as I look at where we are as a culture... We changed after 9-11, and we have celebrated 19, if you will, celebrated, not that's not the word, we remembered, you know what I meant by that, but remembered 19 before this. But I would, I'm going to venture to say this, maybe I'm the only one in here who feels this, this 20th is not just because it's 20th, it's just because we feel different as a culture right now, remembering this. Because we remember what it was like those few days after or those weeks after. We remember that. But I'm not sure how many of us feel that right now. That, com- that, that com- collective come together. Let's figure this out. Let's have a conversation, not an altercation. But a Christian community, if they look to the church, what should they find, I believe? It's a place where broken, messed up people can find hope. Where they can be healed, have second chances, where, where marriages are healed, where, where people find their purpose for their life. Richard Foster says, and you've seen this quote often, many of you have, but it helps describe for me, 
And he said, now when I speak of Christian community, I'm referring not just to the work of churches and certainly not churches as they often manifest today. I'm speaking of an alternative way of living that shows forth social life as it's meant to be lived. Communities of love and acceptance, fellowships of freedom and liberation, centers of hope and vision, societies of nurture and accountability, little pockets of life and light, so stunning that a watching world would declare, see how they love one another. See, I believe that's what people were looking for after 9-11. And I believe that's what they're still looking for. The attractive power of communities that have this kind of love starts with willing the willingness to wash each other's feet. Jesus said, I've set you an example. Giving you a pattern for living. When we think about it, the pattern of humility. I mean, if you looked at your life and go, and I know you're not humble if you're bragging on how humble you are, I get it. But humility, servanthood. Grace and mercy are just on the, you're just ready to give it away. You're just looking for opportunities to give this grace away. Empathy and compassion. I read this definition. I don't, I, don't, I probably semi made it up, but got it from other places. But <laughs> it says, while empathy refers more to our ability to take the perspective of and feel the emotions of another person, compassion is when these feelings and thoughts include the desire to do something about it. But I was lit, camping on empathy. Well, I tell you, that's one thing. Even if you don't want to do anything for someone else or go help them where they are in their life, one of the things that I think is missing so much in our culture is empathy. Just at least looking from the other person's point of view and just at least hearing their story. Because you don't know when you get mad at that person driving down the highway, you don't know what their day's been like. You don't know that they got a call. Uh, just like we talked about with, with, with Jeff this week about his dad. We don't, you don't know what they're trying to process. And yeah, maybe they're a little slower in moving in that moment. Because what's going on in their life is almost paralyzing. But we don't want to take the time to have that empathy. Even inside the church. And if we can't even do it in here, when Jesus says to us, you are my most evangelistic, this is the, this is the one thing, the, most, the, the best evangelistic tool that you will ever have, love one another. And we can't even do that.
What is the lowest point you would serve anyone else? Now, has anyone here ever been part of a foot washing? Yeah. And normally when we do it, and I've done it multiple times, we try to do it gender, we basically always do it gender to gender unless it's, they're married or whatever. But obviously that's not what Jesus is saying to go do that with everybody and ask them on the street or a neighbor or whatever. But, but thinking about the way, where would I serve him? What's the lowest point I would serve anyone else? No matter if they return a favor, no matter if you gain something, no matter what political party or where they stand on certain things, no matter any of that, what is the lowest point you would go to serve them? What I love about this, and I'll tell you why I think it's so helpful, Jesus, and it was, like I said, uh, somebody said there was a t-shirt the other day, I can do all things through scripture I take out of context. I'm trying not to be that guy, okay? <laughs> I thought it was funny. But one of the characteristics of what I think Jesus set for us in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That he had come from God and he was returning to God. How can God, in his position, take his robe off as if a slave and wash the feet of those he knows would betray Number one, he knew who he was. He knew his destiny. He knew who he was. He knew his authority. So he didn't kneel to them just, to, just because he was he, he just begging them, I hope you guys hang around, man. I'll do whatever I can to get you to stay with me. That was not what he was doing. He was doing it because he knew his destiny. He knew it because he knew his authority. I believe this. There are things you will never, ever do for Christ until you are secure in who you are in him. Till you know that you are loved. And because of the love you have received, you can give that love, not worrying many times about any of the circumstances that come from it or any return in favor. Here at Renovation, we talk about the training we've done over the years, and hopefully we'll do it again soon, of uncommon. And one of the traits of uncommon we talk about is walk in front. And it comes from the phrase, he who walks in front walks closest to death. And that phrase is a military term, and that term is like a point person, a person who's out on, you know, walking through a jungle or whatever, but it's the point person who's in the most exposed pos position for their love of those behind them. And it takes great courage to live there. 
And as we teach on this, our number one example as we teach on this is Jesus. Because the two traits of a walking front leader is one. They understand and submit to their mission. Jesus Christ. Two, they serve those whom they ask to follow them. Jesus. Jesus wasn't trying to beg them, trying to get them to stay. Jesus did this because he was secure in who he was. And I also believe he also knew they didn't know that they were going to betray. But he had empathy and compassion for them. When was the last time that you really thought about this passage of Scripture? Remembered it. And inside of it, there was this sense that you were washing someone else's feet. I've said this many times. One of your best moments? Your best moments are those times that you willingly sacrifice for your own needs for the good of others. Because it's in those moments you're reflecting Christ. When you're good to others, you're always best to yourself. I know many of you like being best to yourself. So Jesus says, we've got an example. Just serve others. 2002, we had an opportunity. I was a youth ministry there at Crossroads over in Chandler. As a youth pastor and some different stuff I was doing, but youth pastor, one of them, we took 2002. We'd already taken almost uh, between 90 and 100 students and leaders to Arkansas and North Little Rock, Friendly Chapel. And as soon as we got finished with that, Jan and I and the kids and then another group, we went straight to New York City. We spent a week in New York City at the Lamb's Church, uh, right off Times Square, serving. Just, we'd do random acts of kindness. We'd send kids out with $20 or $10, and they had to go do ministry for, you know, the day. And, and it, was, it was a phenomenal trip. I mean, my highlights, there's a lot of highlights, one setting, standing at ground zero after midnight with those teens, and they all start singing Amazing Grace, and all these other people start joining in. Because we're right there. I mean, it, they're still working. I mean, in 2002, it was still, I mean, it was still an open area there. But on our last night, one of my favorite parts is that we did a foot washing. Took the guys to one side, girls to the other. And uh, powerful. As those men, especially I suppose the guys, those guys would kneel next to each other. And I've seen big football players, they kneel down and they ask the person to look them in the eye and they just ask them, how can I pray for you? And they begin to wash their feet. And these are their peers. And to watch both of them just weeping. And just to remind them that we're in this together. 
Nobody's above, nobody's below. We're here to serve. We're here to love. We're here to set the example. I don't know. This is a confusing time for me. I don't know about you. It just seems a lot of things running here and there. But as we remember this day, I just ask that we remember in times of tragedy what are people looking for. As a matter of fact, I think they're looking for it before then. But they're looking for a place that they don't see elsewhere. Community of people that love one another. And I realize in seasons like this and even 9-11, it almost feels like everything's up in the air or lost or whatever but what I love about it is is when we look at this here Jesus was not symbolizing hey I'm intimidated I, I want to just you guys stick around so I'm going to show you how to you know I want you to I want to wash your feet just so maybe you'll stay with me no Jesus was doing this as an example what ultimately though was what's great news about this is and it's already been mentioned here this morning the cross Jesus, you know where Jesus was headed after this, and we're going to take communion here in just a minute as a remembrance. But Jesus took a situation that if everybody else was looking at it, they would look at that and go, wait a second, he is being, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to shame you, we're going to hang you up on that instrument of death, we're going to shame you. And he took that instrument and flipped the meaning of it forever. I don't know what's going on right now that may feel that way, but he's going to take something that may look like one thing now and make it something else, a source of hope, a source of freedom. They thought they were killing a lunatic, a, a would-be a messiah. What they didn't realize was they were, they, 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 were, they were building hospitals, starting schools in places you never would have imagined, taking men's and women's souls and turning them around. They didn't know what they were doing. So whatever it is right now, whatever you're going through, the one thing I can assure us, church, we have got to be together. Or it's all lost. I realize there are times we give ground to the enemy and it's hard to get back. I get it. I've done it in my own personal life at times. And you just got to get it back. But the one thing we can't miss and remembering is resting And the love of Christ. Because unless you do, you're not part of him. Unless you let him wash you, you're not part of him. And then through that, Jesus says, now you can't keep it to yourself. You got to let it flow. And your love for one another. I love the verse 17. Now that you know these things. You'll be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you would now take your elements. I'm going to pray for us. This weekend of remembrance, 
There's so many things over this last, especially few years we could remember. It's been, it's been pretty crazy. We're called. be that city on a hill I sure hope when the people around us look to the church that's what they see one way that we do that in community is through communion and on the night that Jesus was betrayed gave another example that as often as we do it we do it in remembrance of him let me pray for us before we do that Lord we come before you today knowing a lot of things swirl in our minds but Lord let us focus on the things that matter how many heroic things we may want to do Lord or how much we want to just curl up in a fetal position sometimes Lord let us be remembered your love for us we may forget a lot of things over the years Lord but we can't forget you life gets busy get a lot of information in our head but Lord we can't forget you so today Lord we come before you on this September 12 2021 resting resting love that you have forgiven us you have washed us tomorrow we'll get up and remember it again and Lord then asking the question Lord how then can you use me Lord thank you for your folks here today may our example always be If nothing else we do, we genuinely love one another. Amen. The night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. Presenting what he would be dealing with. In a very visible sense. Crucifixion. And shedding his blood for us. Representing that we do now. In remembrance of him.
what he has done for you to your soul's comfort. again pray that you would just this week is this weight of remembrance of 9-11 but Lord we know there are so many weights that people are carrying just pray Lord that this week they just be able to rest in you we thank you now again for this Congregation, Lord, we love them. Pray blessing over them now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless. Go have an uncommon week in his name. Blessings.